Ira, how many of you have never heard Bill Prater speak? Would you raise your hand? Look at that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. They don't know any better, Doc. They don't know any better. Uh, but uh, I'm so thankful. And uh, just our past crossed just recently. And uh, just uh, very, very thankful for Brother Bill's friendship and willingness to come uh, from Texas all the way out. Whoa. No, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. It said on Facebook that you flew from Texas to, flew from, I know, I know, I know, I know. But you, that's right, flew in from Texas. There we go. All right. Am I back on the good list? <laughs> but uh, Brother Bill pastored for 20 years in uh, liberal Kansas. And that's not a bad thing. Lib we're not saying that Kansas is liberal. That's the real name of the town, okay? Just want to clear that up more than anything else. Liberal is the name of the town in Kansas, okay? Uh, so, but I appreciate him being willing to come and uh, minister to us. He had a very unique testimony and excited. Brother Bill, come preach for us. Let's give him a hand for coming to preach for us this weekend. Thank you, preacher. Amen, amen, amen. Well, thank you, preacher, for the opportunity to uh, uh, share in uh, this event this weekend. And thank you, men, for uh, making the investment to come and, and be here and participate in this. And thank you, Brother Scully, for your preaching. Um, it was absolutely on point, as always. And I don't know if I have ever told you this before, uh, but you are one of my all-time favorite preachers. Easily, easily in the top 200. I mean, you are, you are right there. And uh, no, seriously, somebody, somebody asked me, they said, well, who else is preaching? And I said, well, Kurt Skelly's preaching. And uh, I said, I, I feel like the, a mule at the Kentucky Derby. And uh, I am, I'm way out of my class. Uh, but then I got to thinking, uh, God used a donkey one time. And uh, so... You know, maybe, maybe, maybe he'll do it one more time. Uh, let's find out. Psalm chapter 37 tonight. Can we do that? Psalm chapter 37. I would really encourage you to get registered for next year uh, because I happen to know my pastor, who happens to be my son, is preaching next year. And uh, he will absolutely uh, bless your heart and uh, one of the, the best young preachers um, in the nation. I really, I believe that, not just because he's my son, uh, but just because he is. And uh, God's hand is on him and using him in a, in a tremendous, tremendous way. With the Lord's help, I want <coughs> to spend our time together this evening dealing with what is potentially the most destructive emotion in any person's life. What a great message on fear yeah, that, that affects all of us. But, but in this message, I want to deal with something, again, that, that is, is very destructive, uh, especially in, in men. Uh, it's a weapon that crushes the heart. Uh, it beats down the spirit. Sometimes it even hurts the body. The emotion that 
I'm speaking of tonight is anger. I preached a series of messages on the home a few years ago, and I addressed the subject of anger. And when I got back to my office that Sunday afternoon, I checked my email, and there was an email in there from a, a young wife and mother. And here's what she wrote. She said, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a deacon and taught a Sunday school class. But behind closed doors, he was a very angry man who let his emotions control him. We would go to church and pretend, but as soon as we got home, everything fell apart. I remember growing up praying my dad would come home as a tickle monster, not mean dad. It was bearable until my older brother moved out of the house. Then I received the brunt of his anger. I thought surely someone would find out about us, but no one ever did. I became so full of hatred and anger towards my dad that it made me into a horrible person. I would take pictures and threaten to show the cops so they would put my dad in jail, but my mom would beg me not to. I thought if I could just show him what kind of man he was and what he was doing to me, that I would be able to change him. Instead, it just destroyed me from the inside out. I was 17, she writes, when I got saved. My life started to change, and for a while it seemed better, but inside I still hated my dad so much there was no room for Christ. It was like the seeds falling onto the rocky ground. The fruit started to spring up and Christ started to change me. But he hit the rock and I wouldn't let him penetrate anymore. So my changed life started to die off. Before long we were back into the same rut. Only this time it was much worse. I tried to run away but my mom would beg me to come home. The next year I went to church camp more hard-hearted than the year before. But this year I was a child of God. I went through the whole week angry and bitter until the last night when I was talking to one of the counselors who was excited to go home and use what they had learned. I started crying and saying I didn't want to go back. They took me to the pastor who couldn't believe what I was telling him. He told me what my dad did was wrong, but that the anger I had was destroying me. He told me I had to let it go, but I was scared. I knew I was so full of anger and bitterness that if I let it go, I would be completely empty. To this, my pastor responded, it is only then that the Lord can truly fill you up. 
That night I prayed and really, truly let go. To say there was a weight lifted off my shoulders is an understatement. My whole life changed in that moment. I went from being angry and mean to caring about souls and the things of the Lord. I can't say that I instantly started loving my dad, but the process started in that very moment. Anger is a destroyer. That's why the psalmist says in verse 8 of chapter 37, cease from anger and forsake wrath. In my experience as a pastor and a domestic violence volunteer and Commissioned police officer with the Liberal Police Department for 17 years now, I am fully aware that anger is just not a man problem. That there are some very, very angry women out there who are just as hurtful and just as abusive as men. Are there any other law enforcement guys in here tonight? They can, they can vouch for this. I've arrested many women who were the aggressor in domestic violence incidents. So it's not just men who are angry. But my assignment tonight is to preach to men. And so here we are. Let me begin by giving you some reasons that anger's destructive force might be unleashed. Number one, a man gets angry because he doesn't get his way. It's strange how that what is often punished in children is somehow permissible when it comes to dads. Number two, men get angry in order to control. Many husbands and Fathers have learned that anger makes their spouse and or their children back down and give in. Many a man has walked away from an angry confrontation with someone in his family feeling pretty good about his ability to lead them. And feeling pretty proud of how they follow his leadership. And this is precisely what makes anger so dangerous. It is self-reinforcing. When we get angry, we often get results. Which means that we're more likely to get angry again the next time around. And granted, you may get what you want in the short term, but gentlemen, listen to me tonight. In the long term, you will lose so much more than you gain. Listen, control gained through anger is generally good only as long as the controller is around. Nobody truly respects the person who controls through intimidation. 
Number three, a man may get angry because his pride is wounded. You've heard it said before, hurt people, hurt people. Number four, some men get angry as a spillover from unresolved guilt. A man who lives with a guilty conscience is continually engaged in the subconscious task of trying to transfer his guilt to someone else. Men get angry in order to set wrong things right. They often call it righteous indignation. But in truth, more times than not, It's nothing but a thinly veiled religious temper tantrum. But because it stems, listen, but because it stems from a sense of justice, it feels right. And therefore is justified. And once our anger is justified, so are the words and actions that follow. Early on as a husband and a father and a staff member, I would get angry with my boys and, and just unload on them. I mean, I would absolutely just let them have it because of something that they did. And all the while, I justified it as, as righteous indignation. But then my wife, bless her heart, helped me see that it wasn't that at all. Not at all. I was angry with them, not because what they did offended Jesus. I was angry at them because what they did embarrassed me. It made me look bad. As a man of God, as a staff member, I couldn't have a son acting that way. Now, I'm not saying that there's no such thing as righteous indignation. What I'm saying is that it's not as prevalent as we would like to believe. I want to address three types of wrong anger tonight. And what must be done about it? Number one, sudden anger must be controlled. If you're that person who flies off the handle, somebody said, just remember, you'll seldom make a good landing. And I don't know who said this, but they were spot on when they said, speak when you are angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. (laughs) Been there? And done that and lived to regret it. James said in James chapter 1 and verse 20, For the wrath of man, listen, worketh not the righteousness of God. Guys, tell me this. When's the last time you did something that honored God when you were angry? Yeah, but preacher, it got the job done. That's not what I ask. What I ask was, when is the last time you did something that honored God 
when you are angry. According to Proverbs 29 and verse 22, anger doesn't produce anything that honors God. All it produces is sin and strife. Listen, an angry man stirreth up strife. And a furious man, what's that next word? Aboundeth in transgression. Proverbs 14, 17, he that is soon angry dealeth how, men? Foolishly. There is a price to pay for uncontrolled anger. The consequences of uncontrolled anger are much more grievous than the causes of it. Sudden anger must be controlled. Number two, sinful anger must be condemned. We've already talked about our attempts to justify our anger by calling it righteous indignation. But most of the time, that's not the case at all. It's just an old-fashioned sinful anger, and it needs to be confessed as such and condemned. So, well, preacher, how do I know if, if my anger is sinful? Here are a few things to consider. Sinful anger is directed toward a person and not a problem. Sinful anger produces the desire to be hurtful. Sinful anger leads to other sins. Remember, a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Sinful anger results in evil speaking and argumentation. Now, most of us here tonight are intelligent enough to know if our anger is sinful. But at the same time, most of us are prideful enough, we're not willing to acknowledge it. But guys, regardless of whether we acknowledge and condemn it, God does. God does. And we will be answerable to him in the end. So sudden anger must be controlled. Sinful anger must be condemned. And thirdly, stubborn anger. Be turning to Ephesians chapter 4. Stubborn anger must be conquered. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Very familiar verses of scripture. Paul said, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place or opportunity, if you will, to the devil. Now, if it were not possible to be angry without sinning, verse 26 wouldn't be in the Bible. So it is. We, we know that it's possible. But as I've already said, it's not as common as some people claim that it is. Paul said, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. There is the stubbornness. Are you listening tonight? There is the stubbornness of anger. It would not surprise me at all. 
if someone in this group is angry about something right now. It could be something that happened at work this week. It could be something that happened at home before you left to come here or something that happened on your way here. For others, maybe you've been carrying your anger for years. You're angry at someone for what they did to you. Maybe they did you dirty in a business deal. Maybe it's something that happened at church. It could be that you're angry at somebody in your family because of of, of the way they treated you. But whether your anger is hours or days or months or even years old, you need to conquer it, listen, or it will conquer you. In his book, None of These Diseases, Dr. S.I. McMillan wrote these words years ago about the power of anger to captivate and conquer us. He writes, the moment I harbor anger toward a man, I become his slave. I can't enjoy my work anymore because he even controls my thoughts. My resentment produces too many stress hormones in my body and I become fatigued after only a few hours of work. My anger hounds me wherever I go. I can't escape its tyrannical grasp on my mind. I mean, just go to the hotel tonight and Google health risks associated with anger. And you will find a plethora of articles. Mark Twain certainly said it right. When he said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. According to to Paul, when, when you and I have unresolved anger issues, it's equivalent to saying to the devil, come on in. Come on into my home, into my marriage into my relationships, into my church, into my workplace. Come on in and have your way. When you let the sun go down on your wrath, you give the devil the opportunity to build a beachhead in your heart from which he can constantly attack your life. Here's how it works. Look at verse 31, Ephesians chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. John Phillips said of these sins listed in this verse that they sour our lives, scold our brethren, stain our characters, spoil our testimonies, and sadden the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. 
When you refuse to let go of anger and give place to the devil, it results in bitterness. Bitterness is that that feeling of resentment when we've been wrong. It develops over time as we nurse our anger and tell ourselves that that we have good cause to be angry. We play the situation where we got angry over and over in our minds, often blaming the other person and justifying ourselves. And as we continue to let that bitterness boil, it eventually explodes. Wrath is an angry explosion on the outside of feelings on the inside. My wife often speaks to ladies groups and when she does, she often talks to them about stuffing things. And they stuff 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 and at some point, there's no more room to stuff anything else. And so it's just one big explosion. And it's no different for men. We harbor this bitterness and we harbor it, we harbor it, and we harbor it. And then the opportunity comes and we just, we just let it go. You with me? So bitterness leads to wrath. Then Paul uses the word anger. Wrath and and anger are largely synonymous. If, If there is a nuance of difference, wrath is the sudden outburst of temper, whereas anger refers to a more settled attitude, often with the purpose of revenge. So bitterness leads to wrath and anger, which Paul said leads to clamor. Again, we're talking about the stubbornness of anger. If you and I refuse to deal with our angry heart, we're going to get bitter, and then there's going to be wrath, and then there's going to be anger. And then Paul said there's going to be clamor. Clamor refers to arguing and fussing and quarreling and brawling. It means insulting, boisterous behavior and loud talking. Every fight that I have ever responded to, whether it's between a husband and wife or two brothers or two strangers, all take the same path. The story is always the same. Arguing, fussing, quarreling, and then ultimately brawling. Happened just a couple of weeks on uh, Saturday nights ago at one of the bars in our town. There was a guy started chirping at each other, and then it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. And the next thing you know, one pulled out a gun, shot two of them. One died. But it's always the same. It's always like this, 
And then it gets bigger and then it gets bigger. And before you know it, he's hitting her or she's hitting him or he's hitting him or whatever. You know where that comes from? It comes from stubbornness of anger. Guys, we've got to learn to deal with it. At some point in the midst of the clamor, someone results or resorts to evil, slanderous, malicious speech, which sometimes results in irreparable damage. I certainly would not ask you to raise your hands, but have you ever been in an argument with your wife where things got out of hand and things were said this business of sticks and stones may break my bones but words can never hurt me is utter nonsense You can take a stick and beat the fire out of me tonight and you may break some bones and you may make some cuts and some gashes, but I will heal. But I would not be surprised if there's not someone sitting among us tonight who even right now is still from time to time nursing the hurts from words that somebody said to you. Maybe it was your dad growing up saying, you're worthless. You're lazy. I don't even know why you were born. Just get out of my life. And maybe you're that guy tonight. And you would have much rather your dad beat you with a stick and tell you you were worthless. Because that still hurts. And guys, those things hurt our sons and our daughters and our wives. There may be a wife or a child at home tonight who's nursing the hurt of something that their husband or their father said in anger. That kind of thing happens all the time in the heat of battle. But it wouldn't if we would not let the sun go down on our But we do. We do. And we end up saying things that we would, have had, we would have never said. And certainly we do not mean. This kind of speech is in direct contradiction to the kind that, that Paul says ought to come from our lips. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. 
but that which is good to the use of edifying or, or building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Finally, Paul mentions malice, which is the general term for evil that is the root of all vices. So it is very true that if you give the devil an inch, he'll become your ruler. Now let me hasten to a close by saying this. And you've heard it before. At the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. Our we, listen, we don't get angry because our mom and dad got angry when we were growing up. Stop that. That's nonsense. Your mom and dad did a lot of things when you were growing up that you don't do. Come on. Stop it. We don't get angry because our wife or our children made us angry. We get angry because we have a bad heart. Amen. We have a bad heart. And the only thing that can change a bad heart is the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Note in, in this passage that Paul does not psychologize the problem of anger. By saying, well, you, you probably just need to understand your childhood. Or maybe you need to probe your subconscious to get at the root reasons for your anger. We know the root reason for our anger. It's our sin. It's our bad heart. Oh, but maybe your parents didn't love you. Or, or, or maybe you have low self-esteem. Listen, I know a lot of people who grew up in homes like that don't have anger issues listen Paul just doesn't go there <laughs> he basically says this stop sinning put away he says put away all anger as you would cast off a, a, a dirty smelly filthy garment but Look at verse, verses 20 through 24, lest we think that this is just a matter of willpower. Take note that verses 25 through 32 are built on verses 20 through 24. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. What's Paul describing here? He's describing the supernatural new birth that God imparts to us. The new nature that God gives us. 
You see, according to verses 17 through 19, before salvation, we were darkened in our understanding, excluded from the life of God, and given over to all manner of sin. But oh, listen, now that we are new creatures in Christ, and as such, we have been taught a new way of living. We are to put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, Put on the new man in Christ. Let me finish the story that I started sharing with you at the beginning of the message. When I got home from camp, I told my mom what happened. But I never told my dad. I wanted to show him. I realized that this whole time, God had been trying to change my dad, but I and my hatred were too busy trying to change him that I was blocking God. I completely stepped back and gave it over to Christ, realizing that my efforts were making things worse. From that moment on, my dad started to change. He became an amazing man of God who realized his shortcomings and sought help for his anger problems. I can't tell you, she says, how many times he has come to me in tears and apologized. I love and respect my dad. Not only as a dad, but as a spiritual advisor. My family was headed for disaster, and I was right in front. But because I chose to stop hating, Christ completely turned us around. On my wedding day, and, and, and my wife and I were there. She was from a, another church in, in Kansas, and she got married, and they moved to Liberal. But we witnessed this. On my wedding day, I was able to proudly hold on to his arm. And kiss his cheek, knowing that because of forgiveness, I had a godly, loving, kind father. And then she ends by saying this. Thank God for grace. The grace to heal. The grace to forgive. The grace... To change. Now let me just be real honest and open and transparent with you for a moment. I hinted at this earlier in the message. For many, many years, I committed the very same sin that I've spoken about tonight. From the early, early days of my childhood, through my teen years, and into my early adult years, as a husband and a father, I was controlled by the sin. Of anger. 
Thankfully, I never, never physically abused any of my family. But I for sure hurt them in other ways. And I'm terribly ashamed of that. But I stand here tonight as a testimony of the power of God's amazing grace to effect change. It's real. It's real, guys. And it's awesome. And it's available to anyone who wants to get in on it. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? In a crowd of men this size, it's quite possible and maybe even probable that there are some here who are lost. That is, you've not been born again. If that's you, and I've just described a large part of your life, Your first step to victory over sinful anger is beginning a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Are there any number of men here tonight who would love to help you make that decision? Maybe it's somebody that you're sitting beside or maybe somebody you came with Listen, they would love to show you how to begin that relationship with the Lord. There may also be other men here who are saved. But the devil has established a stronghold of anger in your life. And this message tonight hit really, really close to home. Guys, please listen to me. You do not have to live that way anymore. You don't. Your victory begins, first of all, by ending the excuses. You need to own up to the truth that your anger is your fault. It's not your parents or your wife or your children or your boss or your co-workers or anyone else. It's on you. Own it. That's where it starts. Secondly, you need to commit to a steady and consistent walk with the Lord in His Word and in prayer. I'm going to guess tonight that if you're living captive to sinful anger and you were honest, you would say, I do not have a steady, consistent walk with God in His Word and in prayer. And gentlemen, without that, you will never break free from that sin because we're talking about a spiritual battle that cannot be won by carnal means.
for all of those years in my life, and, and I'm talking even, into, even in a few years into the ministry, I did not have a consistent, steady, continual walk with God. I was a fake. I was a hypocrite. I was just like this girl's dad. I was one thing at church and another thing at home. And I knew that if I was going to get the victory over that sin in my life and quit the damage that I was creating in my home, I had to get serious about my walk with God. And fellas, that's where it started. Every day. Every day. And finally, ask your pastor or another trusted man of God to pray with you about your struggle. Listen, God has given you other men in your life to do things just like that. Don't waste that wonderful God-given resource. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray, and, and I'm just going to ask you to mind God tonight. You're among friends. Brother Skelly already said that. Fellas, you're among friends tonight. God may have really struck a chord in your heart, and if he did, listen, swallow your pride, take a knee, and get serious before the Lord, and do business with the Lord tonight, as he would lead. Heavenly Father, I come before you, and Lord, I've, I've tried to be as honest and, and transparent and genuine as I possibly could. Lord, I... I I know very well the journey that this father took from being a slave to the stronghold of anger to being a man who knows the freedom from that sin. And God, there's not a man in here tonight that can't take that same journey. And Lord, at some point, the consequences of his anger will get great enough that he's going to have to make a decision. It's either his anger or his family. And God, before it ever gets there, I pray that tonight, wherever he is in this room, whoever he is, or whoever they are, that they would begin their journey to freedom on their knees, on their face before you, humbly asking for help. God grant it please tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And Pastor Tim's going to come and lead us in a song. We're going to sing. The altar's already open. Folks are already praying. Uh, let's do it, Pastor.